Welcome to Home Mother. This is KPFT Houston 90.1 FM, Galveston 89.5 FM, and Huntsville 89.7 FM. I'm your host, Pat Jones. Home Mother is a voice in our community which educates and informs us. There are many decisions to be made out there as a parent, mother, father, grandparent, and uncle, birthing person, friend. Home Mother believes that we need to choices out of rational thinking, choices that are made through education, research, not out of fear, especially fear that is imposed by those who stand to profit by our choices. It is hoped that the education you receive on this show will contribute to our changing the way we birth and the way we parent. All humans are born good, I've seen more than 3,000 babies come into the world, and I can tell you, there are no bad babies. There are no bad humans. All babies are born exactly the same in their goodness, their innocence, their curiosity, their brilliance, their ability to love and to trust. They're all born the same in their delight in the world. It doesn't matter what country they're born in, what their skin color is, what language they're learning to speak, or how much money is in their family. We all come into the world with the same goodness, with the same potential. If that's true, that all humans are born without hate, judgment, shame, jealousy, then where do we learn those qualities if we're not born with them? Oh, Mother is here to look at our parenting, which begins at the very first moment. Attachment, connection to another human being, especially with someone you love, is the essence of our purpose in life as spiritual beings. Remember that KPFT is listener-sponsored, and you are the listeners. No corporate sponsorships. That means we bring you information, education, that's not funded or sponsored by anyone but you. We need your help to stay on the air, so please, Go to kpft.org or call 713-526-5738. My guest today is Debbie Hull. Debbie Debbie is also a co-host, so if it seems a little confusing, she's a guest tonight and a co-host another time. Debbie began learning about birth in 1996 after the birth of her first baby, and she's been serving Houston area families since 1999. She's certified with CAPA, which is Childbirth and Postpartum Professional Association. She's certified with CAPA as a new parent educator, a labor doula, and childbirth educator, and she is now honored to be on CAPA's faculty for both labor doula and childbirth educator, and she is the Senior Program Advisor for CAPA's Labor Doula Training Program. Debbie believes that it is the most precious and sacred of honors to be invited to care for a family during their childbearing season. And she's very proud to have the opportunity to speak into the work of the next generation of birth professionals. Her work has taken her places she never expected to go, including portraying Julian in all the Houston productions of Karen Brody's play, Birth. I don't know how many times we did it, but I think six 
seven. I think so too. Yeah. Something like that. That was so fun. But only with the fingerprints of her beloved midwife friend all over her back. She's talking about me. They say the first <laughs> sounds she made there on a stage in front of hundreds of people sounded real. She profoundly hoped so. Debbie designed and developed the curriculum for an innovative, interactive childbirth class and began offering classes that even dads reported enjoying. She believes that we learn best when we are laughing. So her childbirth classes and professional training are designed to be enjoyable and memorable. Debbie is most proud to be the mother of two amazing, formerly breastfed, and homeschooled young adults, the youngest of whom has been on a nursing strike for over 20 years. When she is not working on her feelings about that, Debbie enjoys movies, reading, and game nights, even when she loses. Welcome to home, Mother Debbie, in a different <laughs> role. Thank you for having me. It's kind of fun to be on this side. I haven't been on this side for quite a while. Yes, we're so delighted to have you. And I'm so excited for the, the audience and the community to learn a little more about what you do. So let's start off by uh, telling the audience, first of all, what is a doula? So there are lots of kinds of doulas. There are doulas for almost everything nowadays. There are divorce doulas I just read about, people who wow. will hold your hand through the process. Um, postpartum doulas are something I wish I'd known about before my babies came. Um, labor doulas are the things that I'm most familiar with where we help couples prepare and execute their births, so to speak. Um, I've even heard of menopause doulas, women wow. who are helping other women through that process, that stage in their life. Wow, that's amazing. It, it's a wide variety. There are abortion doulas. There are full spectrum doulas who do all these things. There are death doulas who wow. uh, help a family and a dying person uh, through that process. I, I can, I bet there are some similarities in how you do that uh, when you welcome new life and when you, you say, help people pass through life. Uh, so why did you decide to be a doula? So I decided to, you know, I kind of, I don't know, fell into it. I um, prepared for my first birth with my daughter's birth. I thought that I was well prepared, but what I really was, was just informed enough to get myself in trouble, but not informed enough to get myself out. And by that, what I mean is that I had a, 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 a rudimentary understanding of what processes might be involved in giving birth, what routine obstetric procedures were. And what I did not understand uh, looking back is that there was an agenda other than my best interest and my baby's best interest at work. And I think most people don't go into birth aware of that, that not all the rules are written in the best interest of mamas and babies. They're written sometimes in the interest of the people who care for them. And so I knew enough to, like I said, to question things, but I didn't really know enough to insist on the things that I wanted for my care and the care of my baby. So when I got pregnant, the second time I actually went to an ICANN meeting, International Cesarean Awareness Network. Mm -hmm. 
And this midwife who had a birth center in town came with a slideshow, like a projector with slides, a little round carousel where you'd click through the slides. This was a long time ago. It was my sweet, dear midwife, Pat Jones, who um, came and showed us about her birth center and told us about what birth was like there. And I was absolutely floored. I would come home and say home birth to my husband just to rattle his cage, you know, and kind of jerk his chain a little bit. And um <laughs> went on and planned a home birth with Pat as my midwife and she sewed me my cervix and I was so excited and I learned so much and I hired um a woman named Sally Head who was the doula uh, at, at that time um hired Sally to be my doula and um just fell in love with her both these women my doula and my midwife and what they did and um, so I started helping um, women plan their births through ICANN. I became a leader of the organization locally and was helping this one particular mom and helped her find a doctor and helped her write a birth plan and helped her ask all the questions. And um, then she said, I want you to be my doula. And I said, oh, no, what you what you really need is Sally. And so she called Sally and uh, call, and then called me back and said, I don't, I don't want Sally. I want you. <laughs> and uh, I called Sally and said, I'm not ready. And Sally said, you're ready. And um and that's how I became a doula. The very first birth I attended, I'd attended some friends' births, but the very first birth I attended as a doula was at a hospital that is not known for doing VBACs. And she had a VBAC probably very shortly after she arrived. She came in and, you know, big cooking with gas kind of labor. It was really moving along. And she had her baby and um, and it was just a lovely, lovely experience. And I found out that I liked it. I liked making a difference for this little family and um, I was drawn to just the power of birth and the sacredness of it. There's a, a beauty and elegance about it. And yeah, so that's how I became a doula. Yeah. Uh, a couple of things I, I kind of wanted to go back and comment about one was uh, speaking of your own experience and how um you knew some things you wanted and you knew maybe what to ask for. But um, I think the really key part there is you didn't have a voice to stick up for you. You didn't have a voice saying, reminding you of what you wanted to make sure that staff knew what you wanted at those times. I think that's probably one of the most important pieces uh, that a doula provides is she becomes... I, correct me. I don't know. I mean, I could be wrong here, but what I think is she becomes your voice. Uh, when you don't have a voice, you're, you're consumed with giving birth. You're consumed with what your body is doing and you can't advocate for yourself. It's a, yeah, that advocate word is a kind of a hot button topic in the community uh, and in the industry. Now there's a whole group of people who for many years have said that doulas don't advocate, but I think that we're talking semantics there because here's the deal when i walk into a room and say i'm a doula before i've even set my bag down i've already advocated for my right. client right. I, I, so i think it's sort of semantics i think where we get in trouble around that kind of issue is when we um take a, a fighting stance between our client and their healthcare team that there's a way to to get a voice heard and make a space for um, this laboring person to use their own power and their own voice. Um, and it's not appropriate for me to stand between someone and their the health 
care team that they chose for themselves. It's, right. it's, it's dangerous. It can be really risky. Yeah. I'll give you just an example of a, of a time that I made space for a client who had been transported in uh, planning a VBAC, a vaginal birth after cesarean, and this baby was not enjoying labor. I mean, it was very clear that we needed to do something different. So we left home, went into the hospital, and um, the the doctor who was just assigned to us came in and said, um, okay, that's it. We're going back for a C-section. There was no discussion. There was no question. There was not even a, is that okay with you? So I just said out loud to my client, the doctor is taking you back for a C-section. Is that okay with you? Mm -hmm. And this woman said, I need one more contraction. And the doctor like stopped um, in his steps and said, okay. And so they, everybody stopped <laughs> and we did one more contraction. And she said, okay, I'm ready. And, and, and speaking with this client after the birth was over, what she says to me is that in that moment, she found her voice, that voice that you were just talking about, that yes. that it, it made a space for her, I don't know, her power to be exerted, yes. that things weren't just happening to her, they, yes. that she had a voice in the process. And you're right. I think that's one of the most important things that we do as doulas. Yes, yes. because a, a woman, the partner and the birthing mom, uh, they're not capable of being able to think. And, Absolutely. And remember and pursue what they wanted all this time because of the situation they're consumed with what her body is doing. And that's about all they can do. It is. It is. Yeah. Uh, well, the other thing that uh, you brought up that I, I wanted to mention, which was back way back then when you began, it was Polly Perez and Sally Head. Yes. who were the doulas in town. Um, I, I don't know if there were any others, but I don't think they call themselves doulas then. There um, there were a few, but I'm. it was a handful. If you, you could count them on the fingers of one hand, uh, people who called themselves doulas, but it was, it was primarily Polly and Sally. And yes. Polly was the woman who I believe wrote the first book about That's being right. a doula called Special Women. Yes. Um, and uh, is still, uh, she's, you know, not working much anymore, uh, but she's still just such an inspiration to so many people. Yes. She actually is a, um, was a real supporter of Kappa, the organization that I now train oh, for. Nice. And Kappa has uh, a scholarship in her husband's name for Aww. people who, who train with them. Yeah. <laughs> so that's kind of cool to have that poly connection because yes. she lived here in Houston for years and years and then moved off right. to the great white right. North up there somewhere. Right. So yeah. <laughs> Eric yeah. Perez. Scholarship. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Yes. That's very cool. Um, well, tell us a little more about what the different doulas do. You, you've referred to several, there's the childbirth doula, there's postpartum doula. Uh, tell us a little more about what they do. So I know most about being a labor doula, so I'll do that one last. Let's talk a little bit okay. about um, uh, postpartum doulas, which is the other thing I know a little bit about. Um, I wish I'd known more about postpartum doulas when my babies were born. Here's the deal about postpartum doulas. They don't come in to take care of the baby. They come in to take care of the parents. Yay. Um, yes, which could, I mean, because sometimes when family's involved, um, everybody wants to be around that new baby. And... I've done this work a long, long time. And 
I, in, in my own personal spirits, that sometimes it's a little hard with moms, his mom or her mom, you know, the, yes, the grandparents. Right. Sometimes it can be hard because things are done differently maybe than they were done when these grandparents had their babies. And sometimes there's a tendency for family to want to rush in and take care of that baby and just take all the work of the baby on themselves. But then that interrupts that initial bonding and that breastfeeding and those patterns and helping new parents learn what all the sounds their baby makes are about. Is this a hungry cry or does this mean I need to be changed and helping parents kind of get their feet underneath them about all those newborn things that you learn. A postpartum doula comes in and uh, and takes care of all the other things and the family. Their primary job is not to unload your dishwasher but if there's time they'll do that right. their right. primary job is not to prepare a meal but if there's time they'll do that they're going to be helping parents set up systems to deal with a new baby in the house um pat my beloved midwife you used to say and i tell people this now in my childbirth classes that the first year after a newborn is about survival which sounds really harsh but it is also really true and a postpartum doula can come in and help put systems in place to make that really hard time a little less hard and help with breastfeeding they're looking for signs of postpartum depression which is so prevalent in in all of our communities but in some realms than others they're looking for that they're on the lookout for symptoms and signs so that they can refer families to get help around that or around breastfeeding issues or um just in the simple thing of telling them yes it's hard you're not crazy and you're not doing it wrong it's just hard with a newborn. And that's the magic of a postpartum doula. Yes. Um, um, we, we know that uh, mortality rates are really high, especially among black women, and that some of those deaths happen postpartum when there are complications. And so postpartum doulas can be can help new families with that too. Listen, these symptoms seem concerning, I think it's important that you call your care provider. Um, and that alone is saving lives, literally saving lives. What, what I saw when I was practicing is that the parents are focused on taking care of the baby. That's it. Uh, never mind about taking care of themselves, especially the mother. Absolutely. Never mind about anything else. Just make sure we take care of the baby. Um, I, I can remember uh, trying to tell people I wanted the mother to stay in bed for at least three or four days. Uh, that if I went in and here she's in her living room with her clothes on <laughs> yes, on the second day, I, I was indignant. You're supposed to be in the bed. <laughs> Go yes. get your pajamas on, get in the bed. And, and who's bringing you food and who's bringing you water and who's taking care of you here? Uh, because we don't make that a priority for parents. We don't. I mean, in, in our culture, there's no room for any kind of illness or infirmity, but especially childbirth, we're just not honoring that yes. the way some other cultures do. Uh, the whole, you know, the lying in the 30 days or 40 days after a baby's born, right. where all you do is nurse the baby and sleep and eat nutritious food. Somebody rubs your body and um, yes. there's, there's really not a, a forum for that in our culture. Right. And I think that we're suffering because of it. I think women are suffering in families as well. And a postpartum doula makes a little bit of a space for that, I think. Mm -hmm. Uh, another kind of doula you'd like to tell the audience about? I'd like to talk about labor doulas because that's right. what I know <laughs> what I know more about. So, um, I 
just saw a little piece on Facebook, you're going to love this, Pat, where somebody, there's a little piece from a TV show I never saw or heard of called Brooklyn 99, and this woman goes into labor, and the, the father is not there, but he's on the phone, clearly with somebody who works with this woman, or that's that's what it looked like to me, mm-hmm. and the father's saying, you got to call the doula, and um, and he says, what's a doula? And this pregnant woman says, well, she guides you through the process and make sure that you're taken care of, and da 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 He goes, oh, you mean like a vaginal gandaf? So that is my new role. I am, that is, I'm a doula. I'm a vaginal gandaf. Um, I kind of like that. Yes. Um, so labor doulas do um, things related to pregnancy and childbirth and that immediate postpartum period. Um, it is not the same as a midwife. I get that question a whole lot, a whole lot. Oh, you're a doula. Yeah, I'm a doula. Oh, you mean like a midwife? No, not like a midwife. Um, a midwife is analogous to an obstetrician, whereas obstetricians are experts in the pathology of birth and what can go wrong at a birth, and they're prepared to manage that. Midwives are experts in what we would call normal or physiologic birth. They are prepared to take care of routine births. They recognize that a birth that's four hours long and a birth that's 40 hours long are both normal and they're prepared to manage that. They're prepared to um, be responsible for maternal and fetal well-being to recognize if there's something that indicates a higher level of care. And that is not what a doula does. I do strictly emotional and physical support of a laboring couple. Um, My beloved doula, Sally Head, used to say that midwives are waist down and doulas are waist up, that that's, (laughs) those are our sort of purviews. Um, Yeah, so um, doulas attend births in different places and our role varies, excuse me, depending on where we're attending a birth. So we attend births as a rule at home, hospital birth centers. Um, One of my babies was born in a Kroger parking lot um, at 3 a.m. That was an interesting one. Um, And the role at out-of-hospital births compared to in-hospital births is usually a little different. Um, My role also depends on what clients want or expect from me. What, you know, what does my client want? Is my client's goal that they want to keep up and moving until it's a, a good time, labor's well established, to go on and get that epidural? Or do they want to have a, a completely unmedicated birth? Um, looking at planning an unmedicated birth looks different, whether you're going to be in a hospital or out of it. Um, outside of a hospital, there are a lot more options for pain management, movement, getting in the water, eating and drinking and all the things that make labor more comfortable. And in the hospital, some of those things aren't available, but some of them are we can negotiate for. So I can help clients negotiate what their birth is going to look like, no matter what their birthplace is going to be. And it, once we're in their birthplace, if there's any negotiating that needs to be done, I can advise about that. Okay, they're saying that labor isn't progressing as quickly as they'd like and they want to do Pitocin. And I know you feel really comfortable sitting in that bed and it doesn't feel good to get up and move. But what if you get up and move and we ask for an hour and see if we can get labor coming on its own rather than just going to Pitocin? So I can offer my clients that option and then they can decide if they want it uh, because not everybody wants it. But for those that do, I don't want clients to look back and go, man, I wish I'd walked around like you asked me to do. I want their their options to be available to them. And frankly, in the hospital, a lot of people feel like 
you you may have seen hospitals that advertise one-on-one nursing it's like a selling point for them that one-on-one nursing one nurse one laboring person i know that when i heard that i thought that meant great i'm going to have a nurse in there taking care of me and helping me do what i need to do and that's not typically the way it works labor and delivery nurses come in and out of the room and there are um, times when labor and delivery nurses will make suggestions about positioning or movement but it's not their job to make suggestions about positioning or movement it's their job to monitor the well-being of mother and baby and to chart about that so they're not doing a lot of hands-on support and i think people expect that they will be doing hands-on support um so as a doula, I, that's the part I get to do to kind of fill that gap, no matter what their birthplace is. And that's another place where uh, the parents knew what they wanted. Oh, we want to walk. We want to be able to drink. We want to try different positions. Maybe we want to get in the shower. They know that, but when they're in the moment and they're in labor and it's so overwhelming and so much harder maybe than they thought, it's hard for them to advocate for, I wanted to do this. And that's where I think uh, uh, the, the doula is so valuable and that she remembers all the things that they could be doing. There is an old birth book called A Good Birth, A Safe Birth. It was Roberta Scare, and I can't remember the other author's name, but they would say in their book, if you don't, if you don't know your options, you don't have any. Yes. And that's kind of kind of what we're talking about here, that a lot of people, I, it's a story I hear very commonly. I know you've heard it. I got to the hospital. They said, get in bed so we can put the monitor on. And then I stayed in bed yeah. and the baby wasn't turning and the baby wasn't coming down. And, but all I was doing was sitting in bed because no one made the suggestion, get up. Get up, move. Even if you have to be in the bed, let's do a different position. Let's try something different. Yes. Um, and, and a doula definitely brings just, even just that one thing can make a huge difference, I think. Yes. Yes. Uh, the other thought that I had is um, it's so valuable when we can look back on our birth and not have any regrets. I'm not sure we can ever do that because there's always something or a few things perhaps that we didn't get or try or whatever. But I think a doula really helps to not have regrets. That's, I've been asked, what is my agenda? I've had people, you know, who call and they're looking for a doula and they ask what my agenda is. And I tell them that that's it, that my agenda is that you don't have any regrets. Now, there are people that I work with who don't want to hear everything. Hearing everything overwhelms them. But most of the people that I work with are like, if you have an idea, I want to hear about it. And then I, as a laboring person, get to decide whether or not I want to do it. It's never my job as a doula to say, look, you have to do this. But it is my job as a doula to say, if you don't, here's what might happen. Um, My doulas did that for me. I had a really long second labor and uh, we ended up transporting. And I remember my doula, they what we needed was Pitocin and an epidural, but the things I did not want were Pitocin and an epidural. (laughs) And um, uh, so we were getting Pitocin and an epidural and they wanted to start, uh, they wanted to start the Pitocin. And I told them no, that I wanted to wait till I'd been gotten some sleep on the epidural. And my doula flat out said to me, if you don't let them give you Pitocin now, they're going to cut you. And, and she was right. And I needed to hear it. And I needed, um, it's my experience. You'll back me up about this, that, people in labor don't do subtle and they don't do 
hints. You, you just got to right. say it flat out. They're right. not picking up on, you know, you can't just kind of right. gad about. You've got to say what's going on. And you've got to say it flat out and straight out in English, even if it's hard to say. Yes. Um, because they need to hear it that way. They can only process it that way. Right. Because they're so overwhelmed with the labor process and what's happening and everything that's not the norm in their life. Yes. It's an all-consuming process. It's meant to be that way, labor. Right. It's meant to be. People are almost like in a bubble and mm -hmm. and it's hard to to get through that bubble. It takes You have to approach it a careful way. Mm -hmm. I learned that from my midwife. Um, <laughs> Well, uh, tell the audience a little more about what you do in terms of um, all the different, there are so many things that you do in a labor. Uh, I'd like the audience to hear a little of it, you know, positioning, comfort measures, uh, uh, just some of the things that you do to help someone. Uh, yes, we do. I think most people think that the, I don't know, the meat of a doula's work is in labor. And I, and I think to some extent it is, but we do a lot of things prenatally that are also very important. One of the most important things I think that we do is help clients choose a care provider that does birth the way they want it done. So if, if what you're wanting is a birth where you get to choose your position to birth and you, you want, you maybe don't want to be on a bed and you want to get in and out of the water and you want to eat and drink during labor, but you're going to a hospital where none of that is permitted, then somebody needs to let you know. Okay. So just so you know, there are showers in the room. They store toilet paper in it. You're not allowed to actually get in them. They're there, but no one ever uses them. And you need to know that because they're not going to change it just because you came in labor saying, I'd like to get in the shower. That's not how it works. You need to know, you need to shop and pick a place, a provider who does birth the way you want your birth done. Um, so, we, so we can help with questions about that. Asking just a few simple questions can tell you a lot about how a care provider practices and what's the norm for them. And so prenatally, uh, a doula can help with that kind of thing. Um, we can offer input about birth plans and what goes on a birth plan. Um, I learned a long time ago that all birth plans look alike. Nobody writes on their birth plan, plan, please cut a giant episiotomy and, you know, please take my baby away as quick as you can. So how do you, we, and we don't have any data that says that birth plans improve outcomes. There's no data about that. What there is data about is conversations between a pregnant person and their care provider, that that conversation improves things, which makes sense. Cause if you don't ask for what you want, you're very likely not going to get it. So a uh, doula can help prepare clients before they go in for visits and say, have you asked about this? Have you asked about that? Um, so that um, our clients are walking in a little more prepared, especially if they're seeing an OB for their prenatal care. Um, when Pat, when you were my midwife, our visits were never less than an hour. Never. Um, the average OB visit is five minutes or less. I mean, they're, you've got you have to be prepared and and have your questions prepared and so all that prenatal work is what sets us up for labor day when labor comes so most doulas will have a little meeting with their client ahead of time and say okay this is you know when i want to hear from you i always tell my clients i want to hear from you when you think you might possibly maybe could be in labor and then i want to hear you through a contraction and, and then i can tell you this is it right now or right this minute it's not it might change in five minutes but right now this minute it's not it um you know that contraction was not a baby getting contraction it's a getting ready win but this this is not it um and then you know getting to uh what we do in labor is going to differ 
different doulas do different things. There are doulas who uh, are trained to do vaginal exams and monitor babies. And that is becoming more frowned upon in the doula world. The standard of sort of um, scope of practice is becoming a little more defined with most uh, certifying organizations. So in most certifying organizations, uh, doula, the doula scope of practice doesn't include anything medical. It doesn't include vaginal exams. It doesn't li include listening to baby's heart tones. Um, it doesn't include dosing, even in something like homeopathics or essential oils. We leave that to people who are trained about that, uh, medical people. Um, in early labor, a big part of my job is just telling people, yeah, this is, this is not it. I know you wish it was it, but this is not it. Um, that, cause you know how long that early labor part can go. Right. And how anxious people get about the baby might just fall out, you know, while they're watching TV or doing their dishes. Right. And so it's about reassuring them that, you know, right now I think you're, you're safe, but if it changes in any way, if it gets bigger in any way, then call me back because it can get big quick. It just doesn't do that very often. Um, another part of what we do that I think is really important. We haven't even really talked about it much yet is about how we support partners during labor that I'm, I mean, I've been at births where, um, you know, something medically is going down with mom or with baby. And it's my experience that care providers don't have bandwidth to reassure it, either the laboring person or their partner. There's, they're managing a medical thing. And so to the extent that they can is they're offering um, words of, you know, what needs to be done. But often they're just, they're managing whatever thing is happening. And so as a doula, I can tell people what I'm seeing. So I can see that your care provider is concerned because you're having a little more bleeding than normal. So they're setting up to give you some Pitocin to stop that. Um, I can see that um, there's concern about what's going on with your baby's heart tones. And they're talking about what they're going to do with that just to kind of narrate what's happening in the room yes. um, to keep both the laboring person calm because that can only be good. It can only be good if we can keep that person breathing and calm. Yes. And it can only be good for partners if they have some idea of what's going on. And so things don't go south often at birth, but when they do, um, I think that some of the times I've been the most valuable where I've gotten as close as I can to my client and start narrating what's happening in the room and then grab her partner by the hand and, you know, pull them over so that they're hearing what's going on too, and then start prepping partners um, for what's going on. I mean, and that's when birth, you know, kind of goes askew, but even at a regular sort of normal birth, um, I always tell the story. The only dad who's ever yelled at me was a man who looked me in the eye and said, I need to see you in the hallway. And I thought, Oh my goodness, what have I done? What did I do? And so we went out in the hallway and he was very upset. Are you looking at her? She, have, are you listening? What are we doing in here? This is crazy. She needs an epidural. This is just insane. That guy was completely undone. And the funniest part is that guy was a doctor. Wow. He'd seen labor and birth before, but seeing his person making yeah. those weird sounds and moving those weird ways was disconcerting to him. Yeah. So I keep telling people I'm going to put it on my you know income tax return <laughs> that my job is to smile at other women's husbands behind their back and just remind them that we're still okay. We're yes. still on the path of normal, that this is, yes. it's okay. Yeah, she looks weird and she's making <laughs> weird sounds and she might even yeah. say weird things, but but we're that's all part of it. It's yes. just all part of it. And so in that sense, it's about bringing to birth a sense of normalcy and what always feels very stressful. Yes. I, I mean, I guess not always, but most of the time it's new ground for most people and 
Yeah. Um, it can feel scary. I mean, look at her. Are you looking yes. at her? What are we doing right. in there? Um, <laughs> she, she looks out of control and she looks like she's in terrible pain. There must yes. be, this must not be right. It must not be right. And so I, another thing I've seen in, in labor is when women get to that transition place, that place that's so hard and they, they start reaching out, they either get that angry fight or flight response or, uh, you know, where they're kind of snapping. And I mean, one woman I was with said her husband's whole name at every contraction. So I'll say my <laughs> husband's whole name. She'd go, Jeffrey Allen Hall, <laughs> Jeffrey Allen Hall. Like, I mean, she was like, she was so mad. And that guy was ready to do, I mean, he was willing to slay the dragon, but there was no dragon to be slayed. And there was no mountain to be moved. And so I could be there to say to him, it's okay. It's how she's coping. It's yes. just, you're her safe place. And she's just calling on you. That's just yes. the way it is. Um, getting, you know, when births are all over, I come home, my children are grown now, I come home and sleep as long as I want. But when I leave this birth, this partner is going to have a brand new newborn and a, a woman who's just been through labor to take care of. So they always eat and sleep first. If we have a long labor, he can even get a break, you know, just yes. step yes. out and breathe air if he needs it. Um, and all those things I think make a difference. Yes. Um, Big difference. Uh, yes. Yeah. So the other thing I really like about what you do is telling the dad what he can do to help her. You know, it's how could he know what might, where to push on her back or how much pressure here, or how does he know, you know, to look at her directly in the eye and help her breathe? Or there's so many things that you tell the dad, try this, do this, that helps him to be the hero. Yes. I, I, uh, one of the men who spoke, actually, he spoke at a Kappa conference. Um, he prepares dads for labor and birth, and he used the phrase making partners relevant to the birth. And so as a doula, that's a, a lot of what I do. So laboring women aren't known for being real polite beyond a certain point. Sometimes it, where normally she would go, you know, I liked it when you were pushing on my back, but now I don't want you to touch me anymore. In labor, the etiquette is just to go, don't. She just goes, don't. And don't so, touch me. Yeah. So it, it, he feels kind of snapped at. And um, I've also observed a lot of men, their big thing is they just don't want to make it worse. Please don't let her be mad at me when this is over. They want to do a good job. And so yeah. she snaps and he thinks, man, I messed up. I can smile <laughs> at him and go, it's okay. And show him how to re-engage in a way that, you know, give her a sip of this juice or put this cloth on her forehead or try putting your hand here instead of there um, to help them re-engage if they feel, oh, excuse me. Excuse me, I sneezed. Um, help them feel snapped at. Uh, if they feel snapped at, help them re-engage in a more appropriate way. Um, the other piece about being um, labor support is that if a family's planning an out-of-hospital birth and they end up transporting, um, there are many midwives who go in with their clients and there are others who don't. Um, so I go wherever my client is. So if we've been at home and now we're going to a hospital, then I'm going to the hospital too. And it sometimes is uh, the case that I'm the only face that they know when we get there. Um nice. A little bit of a little bit of continuity of care. It's not quite as great as having a midwife who is really knows all the ins and outs and you know medical records. But it certainly can make a difference for someone who's who's all alone, um, getting transported. And then postpartum, um, it's about helping uh, in that immediate postpartum period, helping baby get to the breast. Um, sometimes I get to do that. 
um, reminding parents that, uh, you know, what's coming next in the process there, you know, you're going to be going home in about four hours after this birth center birth, your midwife's going to be leaving in a few hours. Um, if you're in a hospital, listen, they're going to move you out of this room in two hours, in two hours, you're going to a postpartum room. What needs to happen now? You know, can we get you some food? I've made, you know, I've scrambled my fair share of eggs after a birth. I've also gone and fetched chicken and waffles. I, for a long time that was the thing people wanted um, one time i got prince's hamburgers do y'all remember prince's hamburgers it was an old hamburger place in town but they were sort of well known yes i do remember I, this woman had just had her baby at home and she wanted a princess cheeseburger they were only serving breakfast but i went and said she just had a baby and all she wants is a princess so they made her a cheeseburger and fries oh. and uh, so i could bring it to her so um and then we're keeping in touch with families after i keep in touch for a minimum of six weeks with my clients to just you know how are you doing do you need any referrals for breastfeeding or, uh, you know, their postpartum depression issues or what, you know, what support do you need? Sometimes it's just about brainstorming. This is where we're struggling. Okay. Do you need a postpartum doula or do you just need to pay the neighbor kid 25 bucks to come over and run your dishwasher and make you a meal? And then you have a meal and they have 25 bucks and everybody's happy. I mean, you know what, what's, what do you need in your family and what can we do to make uh, the process easier? So that's what we do. Um, processing births and outcomes, um, with clients who've had um, a wonderful outcome or a not wonderful outcome, you know, some trauma. Sometimes it's just being the keeper of those memories, hearing their story over and over again. And um, that's an incredible privilege as well. So you've referred to that you um, help people at home in a birth center and in the hospital. Is there anything more you might say about how your, your, uh, care is different in those different locations, what you do and differently? Yeah, well, so in hospital, some, oftentimes my, uh, one of my big jobs is about keeping an eye on what's happening in the room. Um, so I recognize if they're setting up to break somebody's bag of water. So I could say, oh, look, they're setting up to rupture your membranes. That is such a common, common, common thing in the hospital that often they don't tell you they're going to do it. They just do it. Yeah. So if you don't recognize that they're setting up for it, you may not get a warning about that. Um, and that is a real decision that can have effects on the progress of a labor. So I'm so I'm kind of running interference about those kind of things. Now you said on your birth plan, client, that you didn't want your membranes ruptured. And I see that, you know, Dr. Smith I almost said Dr. Jones, but then I thought that would be bad for you. So Dr. <laughs> Smith is setting up uh, to uh, rupture your membranes. Is that something that you want? Do you have any questions about that? Do you need a minute to think about it? Um, at out of hospital births, often my function, especially for having that long, long labor, um, you and I, I've done this with you where midwife can go and sleep and I can labor with a couple because really and truly I can do labor support in my sleep. I have done it in my sleep, but when a baby comes, a midwife needs to be sharp and rested, um, when that baby comes out. So, um, I think that's an important gap that, that a doula would fill at an out of hospital mm -hmm. birth. Mm -hmm. Very good. Yes. Uh, there's probably not a lot of difference between a birth center and a home birth in terms of what you do. Is that correct? Yes. Um, well, let me tell you one little different, a couple of little subtle differences, but they're important, I think, for people who are choosing to birth outside of the hospital. What if the room you've been envisioning where your birth was going to be at the birth center has already somebody, you know, somebody's already laboring in it and you get stuck in this other room or you there's, you know, two or three midwives in a practice um, and you just adore one of them. And there's one that you're OK with, but she's just not your favorite. And that's the one who's on call. So sometimes it's about. Um, 
helping people get around those shifts and, you know, what their vision looked like. Um, and that happens, I think, a little more. I mean, it happens in hospital, too, but that that's a thing that might be particular to an out of hospital birth, Very making good. sure they're eating and drinking, whereas in the hospital, I'm just trying not to be angry that they're not allowed to eat and drink. Yes. Um, yeah. Uh, well, let's tell the audience a little bit about the process to become a doula. There might be, we might have listeners out there who have considered, maybe I want to be a doula. What would that look like for them? So here's the way it works now in most places. You don't have to have any credentials at all. You can just hang out a shingle and call yourself a doula. Um, there's no um, standardization. And there hasn't been for you know a long time, this industry. But the industry's growing and the world is kind of changing. Um, I've been saying for a while now that there's going to come a day when you're not going to be able to work if you're not certified. And that day came when COVID hit. When pandemic happened, all of the hospitals in our community and around the country, to my knowledge, the vast majority of them, um, closed to any doula that was not certified. Um, you had to show your certification when you arrived. I'm still carrying around in my doula bag a little wrinkled copy of my certifications just in case I'm asked for it. Because in some places, I believe it's still the official policy. It's not really put into practice now that COVID protocols are out of the way, but it's kind of there. Um, Different organizations offer different ways to certify, and there are even um, individuals who offer certification. Um, so for me, that's a problem because I really want the standards for the doula industry to be set high. I think that if we don't set high standards for ourselves, someone else is going to set them and we're not going to like it. We're not going to like what somebody else's standards are going to look like. Um, now, it, the standardization is changing. There are now six states that require um, Medicaid or Medicare to cover doulas. Um, and on January 1st, New York State is going to be another one. I think that's the seventh state that will be requiring um, coverage from that particular insurance. TRICARE, which is military insurance, now covers doulas. Um, uh, one of my children works for a company who's health insurance covers doula. So it's becoming a more common thing. It's it's we're getting there, but we're not completely there yet. Um, the organization that I train for Kappa childbirth and postpartum professional association um, is they're accepted by all the, the states where um, certification is required the Kappa um, certification process is accepted by all of them. Um, and the process to become a doula through Kappa um, starts with an 18 hour training. That's the thing that I'm doing is offering that that training. We do it over two days. And you learn all about a scope of practice, what is okay for you to do a, uh, do as a doula, what is not okay for you to do as a doula, which not only protects us from liability, but I think it's a thing that keeps clients safe. Um, I think that's an important part. Um, we learn about uh, the ins and outs of doula work about what it's like to live the life of a doula, about what some challenges there might be. Um, we learn about what we as doulas do to prepare our clients prenatally and how to manage them postpartum. And we spend a whole lot of time on how to support during labor. How can you successfully advocate for your clients within an acceptable scope of practice? Um, one of Kappa's, they call them the four cornerstones, one of the um, 
goals of the organization or one of our founding principles is that we try to build bridges in the community. That means not coming into labors and that sort of combative stance that I, and I know you've met doulas who come in with this, you know, sort of a chip on their shoulder. They're angry. They're working out their own issues and we're not serving our clients and we're definitely not serving ourselves, our industry or the community at large, because then the next person comes in with a doula and we've got a nurse who's been hurt by a previous doula and there are all those feathers to be soothed and so Kappa works really hard to prepare people to leave our trainings um, in a different space than that. Um, then there's reading to be done, required reading about breastfeeding and labor and birth, but also about health equity and the disparities that are there and where those came from and what they mean, how they play out, what they might look like um, at, a, at a birth so that we as doulas can recognize them and know how to step in um, and be an effective ally around that. Um, so reading, um, we are we require our trainees to attend three labors and births and get references from the people that they served at those births and from the birth professionals. So the midwife or OB and a labor and delivery nurse or a birth assistant, they they will uh, send in references about how this doula was at their birth so that we know that we're sending people out who are um, managing births well. We want them to do that. One of the things I'm doing now as the senior advisor for the program is that if there's any questions about those birth write-ups when they come in, then I process with people. Uh, we want you to be successful. And if you're walking around with Kappa's name on you, we want you to be doing it right. So so um, I really like that they set high standards for um, the training process. And, and you know, that's how it works. So uh, you have some classes coming up uh, pretty soon to teach uh, someone to become a doula and certify with Kappa? I do. <clears throat> Excuse me. I have, um, I train childbirth educators and labor doulas for Kappa. Um, I'm, by the end of the year, I'm hoping to be training new parent educators as well. Kappa, Kappa offers certification for all of those in addition to postpartum doula and certified lactation educator. Um, my trainings are coming up. I'm going to be training in person again. I'm very excited about training in person again. I have really missed just the hands-on part of the training. Um, so I'm going to be offering hands-on training, uh, like in person and also training virtually. Um, training virtually live online, like in a Zoom meeting, is not something I ever thought I would do. Um, Pat Jones and I, for anybody who doesn't know it, are not tech people. We're just, this is not a thing we love. So I was dragged into teaching over Zoom, kicking and screaming, let me just tell you. Um, but I am now the proud owner of a pregnant mannequin that I use for demonstrations. Wow. It's really great. She has, I mean, you can see a waist and there's a belly and there are little, you know, butt cheeks and a butt crack, which helps uh -huh. us with positioning our hands. And yes. so, so it's much more effective than I thought it would be, but it's, uh -huh. but it's, uh, so we're training virtually now and in person and I'm starting those up in January. So okay. and um, I'm really looking forward to it. If someone is interested in that class, how do they reach you? Um, they are welcome to go onto my website. It's www.debbyholdoula.com, um, and there's a tab there. They're also uh, welcome to re reach out uh, via phone. Uh, my business line is 281-599-1381. Um, I'm not always around to answer it because sometimes I'm off being a doula or training childbirth educator or something, but um, I'll get the message and return the call. So tell them the website again www.debbyhull, it's D-E-B-B-I-E-H-U-L-L dot doula 
I mean, DebbieHoldDoula.com. Sorry, DebbieHoldDoula.com. And Doula is D-O-U-L-A. I've seen lots of spellings of it through the years, but it's D-O-U-L-A. Very good. And uh, tell the audience also about the childbirth education classes that you teach. Uh, a little bit about what's in them. How would they benefit uh, a family? So... My favorite thing about my classes, and it's something that I did not plan, is that when people leave the classes, I get tearful phone calls from women the next week and they say, we're talking about our birth. I'm so excited my <laughs> husband's talking to me. Um, so one of the things that has come from the classes that I really like is that it prepares partners. Um, it's my experience that women do all the reading often, and maybe they're men not as much. Um, and so the class is a way for them to come in and learn skills to make them again relevant to their births. Because the truth is once labor hits, um, the laboring person doesn't have a lot of bandwidth for decision making, and that's gonna be left up to a partner. So to an extent, partners need to be even more prepared than uh, a laboring person. And, and we of course educated. practice all the- yes. yes, absolutely, educated about options and pros and cons and benefits and risks and yes. um and of course we do all the positioning things that you would expect to see in a childbirth class and um we actually do a labor simulation another thing that that i really like uh, is we do a little bit of preparation for that postpartum time as a couple um, we are really in our industry just starting to delve into that helping couples manage that transition uh, to parenthood and so we do a little bit of that in the childbirth class as well very good. And how would someone uh, find out about your childbirth classes? It's all on the website, <laughs> DebbieHoldDoula.com. There's a tab for expectant parents, and that is there where they'll find the information. Very good. And there you have some coming up soon, I understand. I do. I have a series starting in January. It will be in person and live. We'll actually get to um, touch each other in that class. I usually have partners doing that. So partners will get some hands-on um, experience and pregnant people will get a chance to say, push harder or softer, more to the left or more to the right and have some practice time about how to manage yes. that. Yes. And that sounds really important to be able to give each other feedback. And it, learn. I think it is. And it, yeah, I mean, just to get it, get a little dry run before yes. the actual day. Yes. Well, we're just about out of time. Do you have some closing thoughts or advice that you might have? I would say uh, to, to couples who are planning their births, you're going to remember this day for a long, long time. The play the that rest Pat of your life. Yes. Yes. We talked um, about the play and there's a, a character, Sandy, in the play who says, it's just one day. It'll, it'll be fine. It's just one day. <laughs> but I don't know that that's true. Um, it, it's going to be there forever and ever. So invest some time in your plans. Get prepared. Yes. Decide if a doula is the right thing for you um, and, and start looking early because sometimes the more experienced doulas in town fill up quickly. Yes, very good. That's good advice. Uh, so tell the audience again, how can they reach you? Uh, the website is the best way, Debbie, D-E-B-B-I-E, Hull, H-U-L-L, doula, D-O-U-L-A.com, DebbieHullDoula.com. Thank you, Debbie, for everything you have done in our community and everything you do in our community and for everything that you're going to be doing. Thank you very much. You make such a difference in the world. Thank, thank you for you. teaching me everything I know about birth. <laughs> oh, thank you. 
Uh, if you want to contact us, and we're very pleased to hear from you, our address is wholemothershow at gmail.com. If you want to hear previous shows, including this one, you can go to wholemothershow.com and hear years of fabulous shows. You can listen to this show again, as I said, and others on wholemothershow.com. Thank you to our engineers. Thank you to EJ, to Edward, to Eric. Uh, thank you out there for listening to Whole Mother. I'm Pat Jones, and this is KPFT Houston. Way up high.